so much of research is expanding your horizons beyond what you know to create characters and locations that feel real, even if you don't know anything about them or you don't know people like that. This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And this is the Welcome to 2017 edition to the show. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, Taylor. Happy New Year, everyone, and Happy New Year, Steve. (laughs) We are glad it is 2017. One of the last things we did in 2016 was to ask you uh, whether you wanted us to keep with the chit-chat in the beginning of the show. And the response was 100% yes, keep with the chit-chat in the beginning of the show. So here we go. We're (laughs) (laughs) chit-chatting. So what'd you do, Taylor? You went uh, on vacation for two weeks, right? Oh, yeah, totally not. Um, (laughs) No, no, no. I was not on vacation. I did take some downtime, which was very nice. But mostly um, it was a lot of catch-up work because just prior to the closing of the year, I finished off a big project and I had like six months worth of small, nagging, to do things to get done, and I'm still plowing through those. <laughs> that sounds like fun. It's really, it feels awesome when they get done. <laughs> well, I had a, I, I won't call it a, a restful or a relaxing holiday period, but got a lot of stuff done, and we spent a lot of time with our grandson, Wyatt, and Wyatt and I had the opportunity to watch the Ohio State game together on New Year's <laughs> Eve. I will admit to being somewhat disappointed in the results. And, uh, and I thank everyone who didn't give me the business about the game. <laughs> and those of you who did, I'm, I, I don't know. If I could make a disgusting sound, I, I would do it. But I'm not quite <laughs> sure how to do that without getting spit all over my microphone. So <laughs> on you. Anyway, uh, the the college football season is over as far as I'm concerned, and we'll start up again in Columbus, Ohio next year. So I'm excited about that. Next year is in 2018? No. Well, you know, my years go by sports seasons, not calendar years. The the next (laughs) football year. Um, Topic today is research. And before we get to that, I was doing some research today on how to quickly lose the weight that you gain between Thanksgiving and uh, <laughs> and New Year's, because wow, I um, the, you know the, with the cookie and treat brigade we had from our listeners here. Thank you so much, you guys. You're so oh, awesome. Oh my God, it was it was literally awesome, and it just triggers that this is really good. Now I want more thing. So. You know, these cookies and things would come in and I'd think, oh, I'm just going to have one. And I would have like five. And and Julie's just going out and looking in the pantry. It's like, what happened to that box of cookies? I'm like, oh, give her the sheepish look. and it, It's gone. I, I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> well, I, um, I had the blessed fortune of receiving from Carol, who's been a commenter on our show, a few times, she sent me a, a slicer, a handy-dandy little slicer that turns zucchinis into zucchini noodles, which I happen to really love zucchini, so that works really well for me, but I'm really bad about eating vegetables because it takes time. 
And this little thing is so nifty and quick and easy to clean and convenient. And so I've already started my veggie program. Thank you, Carol. (laughs) Well, good for you. (laughs) Well, I'm starting my no sugar program today. I finished the last of my cookies yesterday with with a plan to end all this, not on New Year's Day, but on the official New Year's holiday. We're recording this on January 3rd so that it go out can go out to you guys on the 9th and I guess is, is that it we have anything else to talk about before we get to the topic I mean we could spend the whole show talking about stuff and that's not why we're here so let's just get to the topic all right let's kick writing in the butt one word at a time all right, research. We were we have a whole list of possible shows and things that that people have written in and, and asked us to cover, and this is something that we just happened to be talking about um, last week, and we thought it would make because we're kind of crunched for time right now. We thought it would make a, uh, a an interesting topic for this week's show, and then we'll we'll get back to some of the questions that you guys have, have asked. But we were kicking around uh, different ideas for research and different ways of doing research and different, I don't know, I guess different reader expectations for when they read things. I know if, if I read something, Taylor, that you've written, I believe it to be carefully researched and accurate. And uh, is that a true statement? It's a true statement that I believe I, it, but is it is it true? Do you do it? it Are you careful? <laughs> I try to be. I'm far more careful about it now than uh, than I did when I first started because I didn't know how people – well, there's two things I didn't know. One was how easy it is to think you know something and then just be slightly wrong or think you know something but you're seeing the Hollywoodized version of it and that's your entire basis of it and how easily you can fall into stereotypes and cliches because what you think you know is not really what it is. So there's that type of research and then there's the other of, you know, things that people normally, you know, the facts and the figures and not just throwing stuff out there and making sure it's all accurate. So when I first started, I fell into both those traps, I think, a little more easily than I should have. And the saving grace was that I was writing about something Mm -hmm. I was quite familiar with already. But I learned real quick that, you know, don't assume that you know what you know. And, you know, it's it's interesting. The thing that that caused us to discuss this last week, we were talking about something that I was working on that involved a pickup truck. And... I live in Florida, and you know pickup trucks are everywhere. But I've never, I've never owned a pickup truck. I don't know for a fact that I've ever even ridden in a pickup truck. So I was thinking, well, this is the way this would happen in the truck. And Taylor said, no, that wouldn't work. You, you can't put three people in the front seat of a pickup truck. They're bucket seats. And I'm like, oh. I didn't know that. <laughs> I should have known it. I could have gone online and looked at a pickup truck and known that, but I didn't. I mean, they, and I was telling Steve, they do exist, but they're usually really old or they're, you know, it's not like super common. And so that, that creates an issue. But I'm familiar with them because in Texas, everybody has trucks. Well, not everybody, but they're everywhere. And, and, uh, and do you I have was a truck? laughing. Uh, I don't personally have a truck, but someone I'm close to does. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I 
you know, when you think about trucks and, and all of that, too, and I started thinking about this, too, of this, back to the subject of stereotypes and things you think you know but you don't know, um, a lot of people who don't live in truck-owning states, for example, don't realize that some of these trucks are worth seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 or more. Like, trucks are freaking expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they, they often get associated with, you know, the South or hillbillies or, you know, country folk or whatever, but they don't understand the amount of money that goes into purchasing one of these things. And they cost more than Mercedes or BMW in many cases. It's random, but it, it falls into that thing of things you think you know, but you don't. And unless you actually go and look up that kind of stuff, it's so easy to get it wrong when you're, when you're writing about it. So when Steve and I were talking about that, it kind of went off into another discussion, too, about how, you know, sometimes for characters, he's, and he's like, well, I just I have a really hard time writing a character like this because I don't know anyone like that. And I'm like, Steve, <laughs> I don't know anyone like Monroe. <laughs> and I did feel pretty stupid when, when you said that. <laughs> not trying to make him feel bad but but what i think it is is that when when we as readers read the finished product it's natural and, and i get this so much from from readers uh contacting me through email it's so natural to assume that the thing that the writer is writing about is something personal that they have personal experience with or that they're writing somehow basing it on someone that they know to a certain extent, that might be true. It was true for me in the first two books because I had material to draw on for those. But for the most part, I think that after someone's exhausted their personal life material, they're just making crap up. So the characters that show up in their books and the the scenes and the settings, if you stick with what you know and only what you know it's incredibly limiting so so much of research is expanding your horizons beyond what you know to create characters and locations that feel real even if you don't know anything about them or you don't know people like that well let's let's go to a specific example because there are some aspects of monroe's background that came from your background and so we'll we'll toss that aside. But Miles Bradford, I'm assuming that you never worked in a security company somewhere. Never. Okay. So you you came up with this guy who was I don't mean in terms of a, a security guy for a book. He's a really clever character. Um, you know, there's there's all this mysterious background there that that gives him heft and knowledge into what he does, and he owns his own company, and he's. You know, he has these things that he specializes in and he makes a lot of money. Um, how, do you, how do you just kind of whip that up out of whole cloth? Well, that's the thing is it doesn't whip up out of whole cloth. A lot of it comes out in through, through the writing process. And when I start a book, I have a vague sense of what, who the characters are and sort of how they fit in with the other characters and maybe a little bit of their history and their motivations or whatever, but I don't have any depth of character to them. The little details, none of that's there. And through the writing process, as I get to know the characters, those types of things start coming out more and more. And every once in a while, I'll be like three quarters of the way through a story. And I'll realize that some aspect of this character 
or things that they they do or I'm like, oh, wait, if they're like this, then there would be all these other things attached to that. And I'll go back and find the places where the character was shown earlier and slip them in so that that consistency of characters continues through the story. But a lot of it, too, is sometimes you're doing research without even realizing you're doing research. And prior to creating the Bradford character, I had read some article about Blackstone in Iraq, which is a private security company there, um, which they've been in the news a lot. And so I'm sure people are familiar with them before the big ta-da to-do happened with that company. But one of the contractors that they were empl- they were interviewing, it was, it was like a, a piece on who these contractors were. You read that some of them before picking up the, their automatic weapons and shipping off to the Middle East were school teachers or, um, you know, desk jockeys. They hadn't had any military experience. They hadn't been what you typically think of as a contract, a private security contractor, but they just, you know, they're always, they were always looking for able bodies and they were an able body and they were willing to endure the environment. And so off they went. And so those types of things kind of stick in your head when you begin to write characters. And so it, it, it is research and it, it comes from, I guess you could say a, a depth, a well of already read stuff sometimes, but it's not, it's not based on someone that you know. It's based on an idea that begins to form from reading about others or seeing documentaries about others who filled similar roles in their life. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that about the, the school teachers and things like that working for Blackstone because that's the kind of thing that if you throw it into a story as just an aside, it, it adds a certain amount of heft and interest to what you're writing because it's not just the same old private security company uh, populated by ex-Marines who, you know, fire the same gun. I mean, you know, it's it's just the same cliched thing all the time. But if you happen to have a character who's a a school teacher or something who comes from a different background or you throw that in, it, as a reader, it catches my attention and makes me, I don't know, appreciate the material a little bit more, I think. Yeah, I would think so, too. What's been the most fun thing that you've researched? That, that wound up in a book? Oh, I'm drawing a blank on that. <laughs> on that. It's usually just really random things. For me, learning is fun. And so um, part of my research now involves that anytime I'm going to write about something, and it like normally people are like, oh, guns, motorcycle, cars, whatever. And it's like, no, I've learned that everything you think you have to toss out everything you think, you know, when you're going to even put in a throwaway line of somebody using something. So so because of that, I'm constantly double checking, double checking, double checking. And I just come across some of the most interesting, fascinating little tidbits. And sometimes they show up and sometimes they don't. And I can give an example from a a project that I'm working on now that I don't know whatever will come of it, but I learned about ninja rocks. And people are like, what's a ninja rock? Yes. What is a ninja rock? (laughs) So a ninja rock is, I guess you could say street term or slang for shards of ceramic that are pounded off of spark plugs. 
And not other ceramic won't do this. Um, you can take ceramic from a toilet or a tile, and it's not going to work because it's a different kind of formulation. But if you pound, if you take those shards from a ceramic spark plug and you throw them at the window, at a window, it shatters glass quite with much less noise and almost no effort compared to like a sledgehammer or a crowbar or anything like that. And so in some states, well, California for sure, again, research, you just learn this stuff from, from, you know, following the threads. So it's a felony, I believe, or some, some level of crime might be a misdemeanor to even be in possession of Ninja Rocks. It's automatically assumed that if you're carrying them, you're up to no good and you're going to use them for burglary purposes. So just being in possession of them is a crime. Uh, I don't know how other states have followed with that, but these are things that probably that there's an aspect of society that's going to know all about it and they're going to hear this and they're going to laugh, but that's not as I, I didn't grow up using them, hearing about them, whatever. So ninja rocks or um, another one was when I was researching in the doll, I, I, the only thing I knew about car explosions and such and was from Hollywood. And I'd learned don't, don't do not trust what you see in the movies. You've got to go look it up. And so I learned that gasoline makes a very poor explosive medium. It's the fumes from the gasoline that explode more. The liquid just sort of burns, doesn't, or it has to be under pressure. So these scenes you see where the cars just, you know, the gas tank explodes and somebody just, you know, blows up the car. It, it doesn't happen like that. You know, it can catch on fire, but it's not going to be this big explosion. And I'm like, well, what does somebody do who's in the middle of a, you know, doesn't have a lot of access to tools and they need to flash burn their prints and DNA and stuff off the interior of a car. They can't blow it up. What are they going to do? So I start researching and, you know, one of my favorite places to go look for that type of stuff is on forums. And randomly I found this forum from, and some guy was talking, talking about, oh, well, when I was in the IRA, I, you know, we used to use flour and I'm like, what? And so I start looking and I, and I learned that some of the biggest industrial explosions that have happened inside the United States have been in flour mills because flour is highly combustible when it's in dust form. And so when you get an area that's full of dust, whether it's flour or actual dust or anything else that that becomes dusty, it will explode if ignited. And I was like, okay. So those are the types of, of fun things, I suppose you could say you learn. And then there's the ones that you're like, damn it. I thought that would work, but my research shows me that it won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The, let me ask the chicken or egg question. I'm, I'm guessing that with the uh, car exploding, you needed a car explosion. So you went looking for an interesting way to create a car explosion. Is that? I wouldn't say interesting. I would say practical. I wasn't looking for something unique and off the books. I was just looking for how do you actually do this, okay. which I'm sure my search history is just – much loved by the NSA. I can't even imagine the ads you get on Facebook after you research things like that. (laughs) But the other thing, the Ninja Rock, is that just something you were just out zipping around the internet one day and you saw that? 
Um, I honestly don't remember how I found it, but I found it specifically while looking for, while researching that aspect of the project. I just, um, I hadn't been planning to incorporate something like that, but once I, I realized it, because this is a, the character in this instance is one that carries a lot of small tools and things that just always thinking ahead, right? And so I needed something that was like, wait, you know, he's not going to be walking around with a crowbar in his hands. So what does he have? And and that kind of led me down the, the daisy trail of, of finding those. And it wasn't specifically like, I need to break into something. It just, then once I had it, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make sure this gets incorporated because it's really cool. Have there ever been things like that where you, you just saw something and you're like, I've just, I've got to create a scene that has this in it just because it's so cool? Um, well, I don't think so just because I'm, I'm so pressed for words anyway when I'm writing. Like, it's really hard to, to make it all fit that I don't want to create something just for that. But if I can find a way to fit it into something that I'm already doing and it works without feeling contrived, then I would do it. Okay, one last question. I, I, I think we talked around the end of the year when we were talking about what our New Year's Eve or our New Year's plans were. I mentioned the Ohio State game, um, and you mentioned goal setting. Did you uh, did you go through that process? I did, and I don't know so much if it's goal setting or it's just re- I, I call it reflecting. Mm-hmm. My days tend to all blend together, and it's really easy to get to the end of the year for me and feel like nothing happened, especially since so much of what I do is really long game. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's long projects, and so reflecting is a way for me to go. Okay, well, this is what I'd hoped to accomplish this year. What I would have loved to see happen. A lot of times, it's stuff I have no control over. Um, then you get there, and you're like, oh, cool, that actually happened. And hey, that happened, but not the way that I thought it would. And well, none of that stuff happened, so I'm just gonna keep trying. <laughs> And so it's it's a it, it's good. Sometimes it can be rough. Um, these last couple of years have been really hard for me, um, and so sometimes it can be discouraging to sit down at the end of the year and go, "Well, I had all these grand plans, and they just got thrown completely out of whack." But then you look and go, "Well, I, but I did actually manage to accomplish this," and it sort of helps me to get in a frame of mind of where I'd like to see things going in the next year. Because otherwise, I could just spend the whole time nose to the grindstone and lose sight of where I'm actually trying to go in the first place. Do you want to talk about where you want to see things going in the next year? (laughs) No. (laughs) That's for me (laughs) and me alone. (laughs) All right. Um, Call to action. I've I've got something. uh, The whole idea to me of – you know, fun research, not so much just fun, but things that you, once you start researching it, it just becomes cooler and cooler and cooler. I would love to hear from listeners out there who are writers. If you've had any situations like that, that you'd like to share with us, because I, I, it's just fun. As a reader, you read these scenes that are maybe a page and a half and you learn a little bit about something and you go, wow, that is so cool that that author knew all of that. And uh, we don't very often understand what all goes into knowing all of that. So if you've got a cool story about researching something that, that, that really turned you on, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. And I, I 
have to put a tiny little caveat in here is that the danger, the downside of learning all this cool stuff sometimes can be that you want to put it all into your writing because you think it's so cool that, you know, of course everybody else would find it cool too. And that can really mess things up too. So sometimes the fun has just got to stay on the inside. And with that, we will end this week's show. Thank you for listening. We will be back again next week. Thank you, guys. So glad you're with us.